Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to a tech leader that started out with no love for tech, but he is a warrior of a tech leader now. Human-centric with a passion for tech and the value that it can deliver to businesses. There are many key takeaways from this podcast and a few that tickled my fancy I will share now. My first key takeaway was how effective leadership is a balancing act between business needs and the ideals that make the workplace from good to great from a people perspective. And as Eddie mentioned, he has learned to be a different leader. Quoting him, I feel like every two or three years I've become a different type of leader. End quote. Thus, change is the only constant. Embrace the change of who you are as a leader It's an important piece of wisdom for us all to embrace. My second key takeaway is don't make people decisions in a vacuum. I loved what Eddie said here. There are so many voices and perspectives that can serve you. You're part of a system. Be the choreographer of that, listening and acting on what the system speaks to and requests it makes of you. Tap into the people around you. Be a big part of the team and invite people into your team to not make decisions in a vacuum. And my third and final key takeaway that I'm going to share here is the art of resource planning. This is something that we all have to do as a leader. And what Eddie mentioned here was not overshooting or undershooting the hiring. Really think about it. People aren't just chess pieces we are moving in the game of business. Hiring should be done with care and not knee jerks. It may seem from a business perspective to hire more people than we need. But when we have to downsize, there are human beings, families and relationships that get jolted and shaken. So there are many more key takeaways from the podcast and I look forward to hearing what you think. So let's not delay. Let's get Eddie into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Eddie. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And who do you work for? All right. So my name is Eddie. I live in Oakland, California with my husband and our baby pug. Uh, She's three months old and she really is a joy. I have been in tech for 20 years. I currently work for a company called Lob.com, which we can talk about a little bit later, where I'm head of product engineering. Excellent. That's great. And we're gonna, as you say, we're going to go into uh, the company that you work for at the moment. But before we jump into that, I'm really interested about your journey to this point here. What's your journey been like to tech leadership and this company? Oh, so uh, that's awkward. I never wanted to do tech. In fact, oh, wow. I'm gonna, in fact, no, I'm going to say that out loud. I hate computers. <laughs> I have my bachelor's and master's in computer science. My master's cum laude from Georgia Tech. I would like to hope I understand somewhat computers. I still hate them. Wow. I wanted to be a teacher since since I can remember myself. 
And I always enjoyed explaining things and I was just seeing the, 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 that light in people's eyes as they understand the material was something that always gave me a lot of happiness, a lot of satisfaction. I used to teach, I'm originally from Israel, I used to teach Hebrew grammar and composition. I used to teach math for high schoolers. And that is probably one of the you know, most happiest memories I have from my career. I grew up, like so many other people, very poor. And I think when I was choosing my career, I asked myself, very frankly, what would give me the most money? Tech had a lot of, I, I wanted that financial security, which I never experienced as a child. Mm. And tech was able to offer that. Yes. So I became a software developer. Software development, I spent many, many years doing. And that has been a very interesting experience because it turned out I love coding. I hate being a software engineer. Mm -hmm. Now, these are not the same. This is not the same thing because coding you can do at home on your laptop with no dependencies, with no huge configuration files that you need to remember how to operate them, with no all these developer productivity challenges. And you're just sitting there having fun building things. Mm. And then you go to a company, even a really well-intentioned, really focused company, and suddenly just getting that thing to compile is days. Why <laughs> is it not working? Why is the system crashing? What is this bug? Why do we not have logs? The experience becomes even get, getting a problem to solve, having a bug becomes very, very daunting and demotivating. Mm. And more than, more than that bothered me. What I felt, and admittedly, it might be completely anecdotal, it might be just my experience. I felt some lack of ownership. The conversation, like just from the companies at large, the conversation around developer productivity and the importance of that in retaining and growing engineers, to be honest, that's something that I find very new. In the first years of my career, I was just encountering people who were blaming me and others for not being smart enough to understand the brilliant system they built. Which, right. if you were good enough, you would know how to debug this. You would know how to make this compile, even though there is no documentation. Right. So I went into management from a place of, I want to prove that you can meet in the middle between delivery and retention. You can be productive. You can, you, you can deliver a lot of value to the business and you can still treat people with respect. Own your mistakes. Yeah. Think how you can grow. Think how you can improve the organization. That was my mission. So I, I felt, you know, I spent many years as a tech lead, as a team lead. I've, I've started teams in India, United States, Mexico, Japan, uh, Poland, Ukraine. I've, I've, I've worked with many teams, um, and I, I feel at some point. I, when I was given the, the, the directorship, my first directorship position at Box, that was the first time when I was, I was faced with not just being a leader, mm. but also, you know, in, being a director, you get, you get hit in the face with the reality of the business and the numbers mm. and, the, and the margins and the costs. And suddenly you realize that world, the world of management is not so shiny. And it's not just about making, you know, I want to make people's lives better. I still do. But then you realize that in order to make their lives better long-term, you need to balance all your leadership values 
with the reality and the constraints of the business. And there are always constraints. And so that's pretty much my professional journey. The last thing I'm going to mention in 2021, I took a sabbatical after the pandemic. It was, or in the midst of the pandemic, best professional decision I've ever made. <laughs> right. Uh, really, like I, I spend doing so many, like so many fun things that are out of scope for today's conversation. But when I was done, I felt I was missing people. Mm. I responded to an executive recruiter from Lob, and here I am today. Fantastic. So, yeah. yeah. That's good. So coming on to Lob then, so what is the problem that Lob is solving in the market? Yeah, so I'm going to do my usual canch feel, so I hope you're ready. Uh, <laughs> Lob is the coolest company I've worked for that doesn't know it's cool. Uh, at a surface level, Lob is an API company. We handle the full life cycle of direct mail for customers of all sizes, enterprise, government, SMB. The way it works is that the customer defines what they want to send. It can be a postcard or a letter or a card effix. They provide us with the content and a list of recipients, which can be in the millions, and we make the magic happen. So we do everything from rendering to printing to delivering under time constraints, everything in that life cycle. Now, the reason I say it's cool is twofold. One, the technology is shockingly interesting. If you think about it, it's, it's a supply chain problem where your dependencies operate outside your sphere of control. We work with print partners and delivery partners. So we need to optimize not only for us, but also for them as well. Wow. And the second piece is the environmental net positive of Lob, which is huge. You see, direct mail campaigns would be here with or without us. But by simply doing our job and building quality and optimization into the mail rendering and delivery process, we save so much in wasted paper, emissions, fuel. It really is very exciting. So, yeah, it sounds like a, an interesting niche. You know, people like myself don't even realize this stuff's going on behind the scenes. Totally. And, and in a way, that's what makes this company really interesting for me because I, I think the way we positioned ourselves is as a company that gives its customers, be it the enterprises or the governments or the SMBs, a very high-end experience in terms of just what they need. Okay, you need to get this campaign out. We're going to do your job for you. But then we have, you know, what's great is that we are in a position that just by optimizing our own code and design, just by producing technology that does this process efficiently, mm. we help. We help the environment. We don't need it to be our mission. We don't need it, you know, we, we don't need to, we have Rob.org, which is the parts of the company I'm very proud about. But even without being intentional about reducing footprints and helping the environment, we are. So yes. that makes me very happy just by the nature of the work. Fantastic. And you kind of mentioned something earlier on um, around, you know, the reality of leadership and it's not being some type of kind of the, uh, losing the romance of what leadership looks like and kind of hitting hitting that uh, reality. Um, so what is your style of leadership then to kind of deal with that balance between being human centric and wanting to look after people and, uh, you know, deliver the value that the business needs? You know, it's a it's an interesting question because that is definitely that has definitely been a journey i feel like every every two or three years i become a a different type of leader um up until up until box i was very very focused on the people side mm. now when i say people i also mean technology that supports people mm. things like developer productivity 
improvement of velocity, improvement of quality, but robust designs. But still my focus was, how do I make the customer's lives better? How do I make the team's lives better? Which sounds great, mm. but that's where my focus ended. Right. So I only I, I didn't stop to ask myself, which is a luxury you kind of have when you're not a director who mm. manages a budget. I, I never stopped to ask myself, why am I being told there's no headcount? Mm. Why am I being told we need to expedite this timeline? Why do I need you know, why do I am I being told we need to prioritize things a certain way? Mm. And then I get to Lob and I meet a person, which I hope he's gonna be fine with me calling him out because I didn't ask for his permission. Uh, Thierry Chassam, he is the current head of engineering at Fox. I, I really think, like out of all the leaders I've had, he taught me the most. Wow. Because what's incredible about Thierry is that he has the ability to look at an organization holistically with all the business considerations and all the risk management that needs to be done. Take a step back and say, how do I fit that into my plan of retention, people development, growth, making sure we add value to the customer. So it's constantly a journey. It's constantly a discussion about finding the middle, the middle path. Right. And I just have been, I have been his student. Now, I have to tell you, I'm still learning. So, you know, there are times, especially during the, you know, these economic, you know, the, during this economic downturn, there are times I feel I'm too harsh. And there are other times I feel, damn it. I, it's great that I lead with my heart, but I needed to be more strict here because then the organization suffered. Yes. So I wish I could tell you I graduated, but I still haven't. Yeah, it's finding that balance. It's an it's a ongoing balance, what have you. And, and do you use, uh, as a kind of a leadership tool, do you use any kind of um, ways of knowing how to find that balance, best balance? Yeah, so I do a couple of things. First, internally, I think one thing that I'm, I've learned over the years is that we don't fully, you know how people say leadership is a lonely position? Mm. It is in many ways, but there are other ways in which it doesn't have to be. I feel like we don't fully utilize the brain power of people underneath us, right? Yeah. Like in the, in the hierarchy, uh, people reporting into us. And I always try, I remember that I am the decision maker. I, I, I think it's very important in any healthy decision-making model to have that voice, to have that person who ultimately makes that decision and is accountable for it. But I always try to take as much input as I can from all directions. There is no such thing as too junior for me because yes. people have their views. I might decide, you know, that, hmm, you know, this is interesting. I would think about it slightly differently, but I listen. And there are so many instances or at least I try to listen. And there were so many instances where that input has been so incredibly helpful. That's that's one thing I do. The second thing I do is actually external to the, to the team I work in. I spend a lot of time reading and a lot of time meeting leaders. I love ELC, the engineering leadership community, right. started by Jerry Lee. Um, it, you know, I met some incredible people there. I was just at the conference last week. Cool. So I try to have many conversations with people who can help calibrate me. That's right. right. Who, who, who can be a sounding board because you cannot make good people decisions in a vacuum. You know, one of my favorite quotes of President Obama uh, is the higher you go up the ladder and like 
dude, like, who am I? Like a director, I'm not comparing myself to a president. <laughs> but I find it, you know, but I find it interesting is the higher you go up the ladder, the less problems you have on your desk that have a perfect solution. Uh -huh. Most of them just have a good enough solution. But it's really important not to use that as an excuse to give up mm. and just make random decisions. One of the reasons I love working at Club is that on the one hand, it's big enough to give me that psychological safety of a, of a stable employer. But on the other hand, my decisions matter. Like we cannot just make random decisions because we're in a, a you know, we're in a leadership position. If we make mistakes, mm. okay, we're allowed to, but if we make mistakes, they have a price. Mm. And we need to think properly what we want to do, how we're going to remediate, how we're going to roll back, what is the decision tree. So I hope this answers your question. But my yeah, mind. yeah, that's really good. And it's quite interesting. This kind of segues nicely into the next question I had was that, you know, as a leader, what keeps you up at night? You know, it's um, because, as you say, there's the, the the quote that you shared there is a brilliant one. Actually, I'm going to use that one myself, you know. Um, so what does keep you up at night? You know, this has really changed. Um, th that The answer to that question, again, also has really changed over the last years. And it changed a lot since the pandemic. We love is remote first, as many other companies are. Now, when I started, you know, managing in that environment, mm. I was very hopeful. I said, oh, we're going to figure it out and we're going to have Zoom happy hours and, you know, we're going to send all these bottles of wine to people through DoorDash or, or things like that. And then you realize that with all due respect to technology and the happy hours and the fun, at least in my mind, there is no replacement to face-to-face -face interaction in order to create a sense of belonging between, mm. you know, in people, uh, team, like healthy team dynamic, building trust, making the communication more effective. You know, we all know that story that, uh, I don't remember whose who's quote, whose quote is that, that the biggest, uh, the biggest problem with communication or the biggest error you can make with communication is mm. assuming it took place. <laughs> so, right that, that's really interesting because there are so many things that i i meet with my team and i'm like well as you know because i told you that this and this is happening and i see them staring at me and i'm like what happened and like and they're like eddie you never told us that this mm -hmm. is this is complete news the moment you lose the whole way conversations right the moment you use that situation and you need to start being very mindful about what content you share when which is something we were never taught how to do, it becomes a problem. So what keeps me, to go back to your question, what keeps me up at night? I am very hopeful that in this new world where it's no longer, you know, especially globalization, where it's no longer necessary on, or mandatory for everyone to work, to be co-located, yeah. we will be able to, or I personally will be able to bridge these gaps and help build an inclusive community at work yes. and help build trust and give people a sense of belonging because so often I see, and not just at law, but with us as well, that despite our best efforts, some people feel very lonely. Mm. And that is 
that is heartbreaking to me and I'm not really sure how to solve it. Yeah, again, kind of I hear the human centricity there. And it's something that, you know, to share uh, as well is something that I've kind of had to adjust with and I still am adjusting that kind of remoteness, yeah, that uh, connectivity that you have in the room is uh, is def- definitely, definitely missing. So continuing on the theme of leadership, um, I'm always kind of curious as to how, you know, leaders like yourself, tech leaders like yourself, get the best out of your teams. You know, are there any communication tips or uh, tips around creating alignment and encouraging collaboration with your teams? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, this is it's one of those things where organizational design actually comes into place and plays a much more significant role than what you say. Or, mm-hmm. or like the times you say it, I'll, I'll, I'll explain. You know, especially when, when you reach the level of a director, you have many reports. So unless you're planning on meeting with everyone in person, mm-hmm. which is just going to take over your entire entire calendar, <laughs> yeah. um, your opportunities to meet with them are in very large groups. And you know what happens in very large groups? People lose attention, people do other things. It doesn't feel intimate, it doesn't feel connected. And the message doesn't go through Mm. so one thing i learned over time is not to manage through my managers through the managers reporting into me i think having that level of depth and ownership as a frontline manager in an organization i'm running giving them giving them the authority giving them the the language and the toolkit to represent lob to their team is the best thing I can do to facilitate communication at scale. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if I were to tell you, oh, uh, of course, we have this all hands and I answer all these questions and that's how we have alignment, that's not going to work. Because mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes it's not what is being told, it's who's telling you that, right? Like the, it syncs with you at different levels, which is why I really prefer all critical communication to happen between the direct manager and the person. Mm. So I try to kind of propagate the message and, and create alignment in my staff. Yes. And those managers can talk to the managers reporting to them who can talk to the individual contributors and so on. That is the best technique I know because I, I was not able to find anything besides making sure that the, the communication propagates in a consistent manner with consistent language to the smallest, you know, to the unit of a single team. Yes. Uh, otherwise, it just it's just a mess. So so it's interesting, Eddie, how you kind of describe organizational structure and the importance of it, because structures do matter. You know, it's not all about creating a flat organization. Structures do allow you to be able to scale and get that information out there. Um, and, uh, and, and one of the things, you know, you mentioned, you know, remote first, uh, how do you kind of encourage that collaboration? Uh, does that just kind of emerge from from the kind of structure that you've created? Uh, yeah, I, I can. I, I understand what you're saying. I think you know uh, um, there are many there are many pieces to collaboration. I don't think any um, I don't think any structure any person would create would solve the whole problem. I can tell you that I have reorganized my teams in ways that minimize interdependencies to the extent possible. You always work cross-functionally, but yeah. just to make sure the teams that always work together also live together, right? Yes. In the same domain or the same area. So that definitely helps. But I think that 
solving for communication also has things like asynchronous communication and writing. So introducing a culture mm-hmm. of technical writing that is on the one hand succinct because nobody likes to read walls of text, but also <laughs> comprehensive enough, right? Yes. Because it's very difficult to reach out and ask questions and everything's a meeting. So we need to get better. We need to get a, a lot better in communication. Mm-hmm. The second thing is creating those opportunities for people to, to meet and talk, more brainstorming sessions. I think some of the agile ceremonies do a really good job with that. Mm. But at the end of the day, I, I, I have to tell you, it kind of, bo- kind, of, kind of boils down to what we, we said a few minutes ago. When people communicate, the assumptions they make or the stories they tell themselves to fill gaps in the non-perfect communication of the other person mm. really does depend on the nature of the relationship they have with them. Right. So, you know, we're not robots. When we talk to someone, we did not get a chance to put our thoughts in writing and organize, so we will mess up. And then the question is, if I'm talking to you about a problem, the gaps that I have had in my messaging, what assumptions are you going to make to fill them? And that depends on how much trust we have. That depends on whether or not you're able to assume positive intent. Mm. So assumption of positive intent, building building these relationships is not something I can just force as a company value. We assume positive intent. It doesn't work like that. You mm. need to create opportunities for that, which means I'm trying to get people to meet physically. It's expensive. They need to, they need to fly. They need to fly in, but that's important. Mm. I... I want to, I like, we're trying to orchestrate work in ways that make people not work in silos and work with teams of some minimal size, even though it's not always the efficient thing, right? You may have five projects and you would like to put one person on each project and that's going to be the, the most efficient thing. Is it really? Because then you're not building relationships, you're not building trust that make communication in general a lot more frictionless so yes. that things take less time. Right? Yes. So I'm just creating that. I'm trying to create that opportunity for people to build relationships among themselves. Because once you have that trust, it's okay if the language isn't perfect. Yes, that's right. So Eddie, as we come to the closing arc of the podcast, okay, I've got some really nice warm questions for you, which I'm going to throw at you now. So Eddie, what advice would you offer to aspiring tech leaders out there listening to this podcast right now? Oh, it's it's actually it's it's great that we're talking about aspiring tech leaders. I was I was just thinking about it the other day. You know, engineering management has a really bad rep, and it's so often associated with paper pushing, getting in the way of creativity, things like that. The challenge is that while engineering management wasn't meant to be that, uh, it can certainly transform into that if you get into it for the wrong reasons. Mm. If the definitions of success aren't clear or there isn't sufficient organizational intention around solving for the customer and for the team. When when I hear stories about managers who got back to individual contribution, not because they missed coding, but because they didn't have any sense of achievement, I know for a fact they were not set up for success. It's Mm -hmm. not inherent to the job. So my advice is go become a manager in the right place and for true passion for supporting other people's success. Love it. Great advice. And on top of that, Eddie, any books, any films, any songs that have kind of helped you on your journey <laughs> uh, to, to leadership? 
Well, it's a shame you're, it's a shame you're, you're, you're saying these are closing remarks because I can talk about that for hours. Uh, <laughs> right. Let's talk about let's talk about books. So um, I would you know I would say I love Kevin Oakes's Culture Innovation. It's actually a book about change management and communication around it. I think that the ability to bring change in a constructive, useful way is the hallmark of good leadership. Mm. I think we often are either terrified of changing status quo or jump in to shake things up without spending enough time to understand if it will be a net positive. So doing change properly is hard. Uh, I also very much like Charles Feldman's Thin Book of Trust. But more than I like that book, I love the interpretation Brené Brown gave to it. You know, making a bunch of people, we talked about it, making a bunch of people working together feel like a team takes a lot more than happy hours, right? And that's yes. especially true when you work remotely and the other person is nothing but an image on a monitor. So you have to create opportunities for trust to be built with actions like properly giving credit, normalizing asking for help, things like that. Yeah. Um, but I guess the, the you see, I told you I can talk for hours, but but the, <laughs> the, the thing that uh, kind of come to mind for me is actually a movie that, that I really like. And at least on the surface has nothing to do with leadership. Yeah. Have you heard about Lars and the Real Girl? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So that movie with Ryan Gosling, which I think is one of the best depictions out there for what it looks like to care for a person struggling with mental illness. Mm-hmm. It's for like for those that are not familiar with the movie, it follows the story of a deeply traumatized young man who falls in love with a doll and thinks she's real, mm-hmm. and how his environment deals with that. So, for some reason, I always think about that movie when I encounter toxic positivity in the workplace. We, and, and I, I see that in myself as well, mm-hmm. we often lack the ability to be with someone who's experiencing negative emotions. And instead of owning up to that and finding ways to offer support, we judge the other person for feeling the way they do. So I always, I'm always reminded of that movie when I find myself in such a situation. Yeah, that's, that's really good that you bring that up. I love that you bring that up because I think you're absolutely right. You know, be, being able to deal with the spectrum of emotions that we can all experience is something that we should all be quite artful at or at least be aware of what's going on with us, you know. So uh, oh. great. To, and again, as you mentioned, we could talk about this for hours because this is a topic I love, you know. It's in the space where human companies are human systems and we had to begin mm-hmm. to get very good at being able to deal with that. Um, so I've got, I've got a nice, uh, fun question for you here. Uh, around being a tech genie. I'm going to be a tech genie for a second and I'm going to offer you, Eddie, a wish. What would you wish for, for your market, for your leadership, for whatever you want to wish for? I love that you called it fun. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to be very careful about how I phrase this. I cannot tell you how worried I am with all the layoffs happening across tech right now. More than I'm worried for the people I see being laid off, I worry that the right lessons won't be learned. While it's probably not the majority of cases, I've started seeing in the past couple of years more and more situations that make me feel like we might have normalized opening headcount for the wrong reasons, which ultimately leads to such mass reductions in force during tough economic times. Look, I've I've been in this industry for 20 years. I get it. Projects fail, strategic customer churn, Things happen. I have no qualm to those who had to let people go, having realized their multi-year projections weren't going to pan out. I've been there myself. 
But look at the astronomical numbers by which so many other companies are reducing personnel. It's very difficult for me to look at this as a response to unexpected failure mm. because it feels more like results of an industry practice where we hire to impress investors, reinvest money in the business so it doesn't go to taxes, make sure competitors don't get their hands on this talent. I'm, I'm very sorry if it sounds cynical. I try not to be. It's just I so rarely see a plan for justifying what all these people mm. will actually do. And, you know, when we met last time, I told you I worked on some management training in my sabbatical. Mm. When I was doing my research for these lessons, I was able to find ample materials on practically every aspect of engineering management, except for resource planning. Mm. And I don't think that's a coincidence, you know, like for so many companies, efficiency in hiring has simply not been a goal. Go on LinkedIn and you will find... So many engineering leaders who put on their profile phrases like grew the team from five to 100. Impressive, right? Mm. But double click on why 100 people were needed. And I know from experience that more often than not, you will realize we don't know and we need to stop this. Right. You know, the, 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 the fields of supply chain operations management have science for projecting the amount of people needed given an operational plan and have had it for decades. There's also so much content out there to up-level yeah. us so we don't need to add headcount to cover for organizational problems that we don't know how to fix in a sustainable way. Yeah. We can do this. When we recover from this wave, and we will, we really need to start keeping in mind that this is people's livelihood we're dealing with. Yes. If you know there is no valid business reason to keep a role open, except for in times of extreme riches, just don't hire for that role, or at least be transparent with candidates that this role isn't business critical, but more exploratory. Some mm. will take it anyhow. Mm. That's pretty much my wish. Big topic, Eddie. You know, we could talk about this for hours, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes, maybe definitely. maybe we'll get an opportunity to do that over a beer or two, you know. One day. <laughs> Absolutely. So as we come to the full stop of the podcast, what's your final key takeaway that you'd like to leave our leaders out there as a parting gift? It's true for every profession, but I feel when you're leading people, it's particularly important. You never have all the answers. It's it's always a learning process, especially when you deal with people. Every day is a surprise. Every day you realize you are making incorrect assumptions. Unlike software engineering, which is very uh, like a complex, it's a complex field that requires a lot of intelligence and a lot of knowledge. Mm. but it's still finite, right? It's a computer. There are algorithms. There are ways to write software. Every single day since I started dealing with people for a living, I realized that assumption I made is no longer correct. Mm. Be mindful of that. If you get to a point where you tell yourself, I figured out leadership, I would stop and ask myself some very hard questions because the more, you know, as, as Descartes said, I, I know I don't know anything. That has become so real for me since I started doing management. Stay curious. That's my key takeaway. Brilliant. Very deep, very deep closing comment. <laughs> Thank you for that, Eddie. I love it. It's been great having you on CTO Confessions. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you too. So there you have it. A great conversation with a great tech leader. Did any key takeaways pop up for you? Were they the same as what I shared in the intro? Well, I look forward to hearing what they were or what difference they're going to make to your work, or are making to your work. So thank you again, Eddie. Thank you for your time. 
May you keep loving the tech work you do and shining your enlightened leadership style or styles on the businesses and people that create business value in them. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.